Hey dudes, this is The Big Game. I'm your host, Justin Hargett. So this year on the podcast, we've already covered two MLS games this season. The first between the new expansion sides, New York City FC and Orlando City. And the second, the newly minted Hudson River Derby between both New York teams. So today, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're heading out to the Pacific Northwest to see how one of the oldest soccer rivalries does business. The Seattle Sounders beat the Portland Timbers at home by the score of 2-1. to one. It wasn't a tense match throughout, but like any good rivalry, the atmosphere was absolutely electric. The players got a little bit chippy, and it came down to the very wire. So Seattle held on. They really needed three points after having an absolutely dismal summer, losing 9 out of 11 games over the last two months. But their win over Portland puts them back into the Western Conference playoff picture, and now they sit in the final sixth seed in the Western Conference, just below the Portland Timbers. Joining me on the show today is Dave Clark, editor of the Seattle Sounders blog, Sounder at Heart. Check out his work there at sounderatheart.com. So I hope you enjoy our conversation about this Cascadia Classico. Hey Dave, welcome to The Big Game. I'm glad to be here. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, this past weekend was MLS Rivalry Week, and ordinarily, as a New York Red Bull supporter, I would have taken the opportunity to call up one of my other, uh, you know, Viking Army friends to talk about, you know, how much we hate DC United and how great the three nothing win was. But it, instead of that, I thought it would be best to kind of explore, you know, what is one of the other really great derbies in MLS today, which is, you know, two thirds of the Cascadia Cup. Seattle Sounders versus the Portland Timbers. You write for Sounder at Heart, a Seattle Sounders blog. And so could you just kind of give us a little bit of, you know, what makes this one of the great rivalries in MLS? I think that the, the thing that makes it great is that it's, uh, it's not an MLS rivalry. It goes back at, I'm 40 years old, and this rivalry goes back 40 years. Mm-hmm. The Vancouver-Seattle rivalry goes back 41 years. And it's something that goes a little bit beyond soccer even. When you get teams from Seattle and Portland that face the Trailblazers, and when we had the Sonics, they were rivals. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at the University of Oregon and the, and the UW Huskies, they're rivals. Um, heck, the music scene and beer scene see the same rivalries <laughs> pop up. And from anybody outside of Cascadia, they'd be like, Vancouver, Portland, and Seattle are basically the same, and you'll probably be right. But it's the small differences between our brothers and sisters to the north and south, that probably make us hate each other just a little bit more. Um, <laughs> on sports, it means that we despise each other. In most of the rest of life, when you see us uh, encounter outsiders, you, you'll see kind of a unified front um, in like environmental action and, and those kinds of things. But on the sports pitch, you're never going to... There's a very small minority that wants the three Cascadia teams at the top of the West. Yeah. Um, most of us want Seattle to be the best and Portland to be the worst and Vancouver to be the second worst. <laughs> Maybe LA to be the second worst. But um, yeah, it's a, it goes back so, so many more years than, than MLS. Um, uh, heck, for again, the Sounders uh, were in that original reignition that the A League professional soccer that started two years before MLS and mm-hmm. Vancouver was in that as well. Um, 
So, you know, that's 1994 to the present. Uh, Marcus Hanneman, who's now a, an analyst for the team, was uh, on that roster um, prior to his MLS days. So it's a, it's a rivalry of history that uh, transcends whatever league they're in. And it didn't matter if we were in the USL or the A-League or the NASL or and there was this uh, WSL and the team names were slightly different. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter then either. Uh, the, the fans uh, that showed and the players that took part hated each other as much as any, any D.C. versus New York or L.A. New York or L.A. San Jose. Um, and that's, that's why we got nearly 65,000 in the stands for um, a game between two teams that don't look like MLS Cup contenders right now. Right. Well, yeah, I was really, I was really surprised to hear that number. 91st meeting of these two teams over, as you alluded to, four different leagues going back 40 years. I mean, that's just an incredible amount of history there. Um, can you give us a little bit of the recent story? Because I know Portland won the first game this season. They also won the U.S. Open Cup. And then Seattle was able to get a really gritty win yesterday. Um, but what was th- what's the recent history been like between these two teams? Who's been on top and who's... I know Portland hasn't quite you know, had the success either in the U.S. Open Cup or in the MLS Cup playoffs that Seattle has. But can you, can you give us a little bit more background there on the recent history? The recent history is uh, pretty simple. Portland sucks. <laughs> uh, from 2011 to the present, uh, they've been awful more often than they've been good. They have two years. Well, they have one year that they made the playoffs in MLS, and this looks to, this looks basically certain to be their second year. Although it'd be fun if they didn't, that <laughs> um, they'd make the playoffs. And even in just the versus Seattle things, they haven't won in Seattle yet. Yeah, they had that really odd um, U.S. Open Cup victory in Tugwilla which was the first ever loss by the Sounders' um, first team in Tugwilla, um, by a Sounders professional team, the first loss since back in, like, September of 08. So um, that Tugwilla loss also uh, kind of started what I, I started terming the dire days for mm-hmm. the Sounders, about a 10-week stretch where they only won um, two games, and um, it Took them from being took the Sounders from being supporters to contenders to please just make the playoffs and hope something goes right, contenders. Yeah, so so it has been a rough time and injuries have been a big part of that. Uh, what what is it about this injury riddled summer? And and is is missing out on Clint Dempsey and he he didn't play in this game. Is he really the 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 big cog in the wheel that's missing, or is it a combination of injuries amongst, you know, a couple of different star players throughout, you know, a lot. I mean, I remember it was what, two years ago that Seattle was top of the league and then had another summer swoon and, and kind of struggled to bounce back. Is it something about the, the time of, I know New York has struggled in summer for years and years and years. Is it, can you really pinpoint what about the dire days, you know, happened to the oh. Sounders? It all happened at once. It, it was at national team call-ups. So with those, you lost Clint Dempsey, Brad Evans, and Marco Papa, who were all starters on the Supporters Shield winning team for 2014. Then you had um, injury to Oswaldo Alonso and Obafemi Martin, two more starters out. Um, Leo Gonzalez, who is only a 50-50 player now, but again started that last year with the, uh, the, the year that we won the Supporters Shield out here. And all of a sudden, you're looking at depth players who weren't supposed to be here 
who weren't supposed to be counted on for 10 weeks. You know, spot starts once in a while, great. Mm -hmm. Mixing in a guy like a Chad Barrett, who also was injured for about half of the, those times. Stephen Fry was injured for about half of the time as well. Um, Lamar Nagel basically had to play every single game and go 90 in every single game because the two homegrown players aren't any good. Um, they called up a guy from Sounders 2, Andy Craven. He was supposed to get his first ever start. And in the light scrimmage that they do the day before the game, um, he collided with a backup keeper and had an NCL injury that will put him out the rest of this season. So it all happened at once. It's highly unusual that you look at, like, L.A. They lost Robbie Keane and one or two other guys. They didn't lose half of the starting lineup, and that's what the Sounders lost. They lost half their starting lineup. And now if you look at the best, the best roster possible, um, like 10 of the guys on, that will be on a game-day team when they're all, if they're ever all fit um, weren't around for that uh, two-win, two nine-loss stretch of games. Yeah, I, you know what? I want to come back to the national team question because I think that's a really interesting one. I want to save that for the end of the show. Let's jump into the game here because, you know, this is a 2-1 win. Sounders go up two goals in the first half. Um, but, like, as you're saying, you know, it, it really felt like the kind of win that a team that was just desperate and trying and clawing and, and trying to grit it out just to get those points, it, that, it kind of felt like that kind of performance from Seattle. Is that what you've kind of come to expect over, you know, the course of these last two months? Um, or are you starting to expect with, you know, especially with Obafemi Martins up top and, like, the amount of skill that he has basically created those first two goals. Do you, do you expect them to sort of finally start to turn the corner and maybe play a little bit more of that style that, that we're used to Seattle playing? We're going to see more of the, the style. It's starting to come back. You, you especially saw it with uh, the... Uh, the defense and, and then the midfield possession once Osvaldo Alonso came on in the second half. But, but when you go up two goals, you can afford to you don't have to press um, and push to score. And one of the things that Seattle has been very good at this year, the interesting defensive technique, is that they'll let a team shoot for 20, from 20 to 25 yards and don't really care mm-hmm. because those are horrible shots to take. Like, you know, only a small percentage of those ever challenge the goal. And most keepers can uh, can stop a goal from from that range. So they let Portland get those shots off because if they close on Portland with their defenders, that allows them to slip the ball through. And they're definitely talented enough to do that. I don't want I want to, I want Darlington Nagby taking shots. <laughs> I don't want him slipping the ball in, you know, on a little eight yard pass from 25 out right into the box. If he's doing that, he's dangerous. If he's shooting from distance, he's not. And they did the same thing with Milano, and um, you know Hughesbury got that set piece goal. But I I have no trouble with that kind of defense. It's uh, it's fairly unique, and it, it takes a little bit of nuance to understand that giving up bad shots doesn't mean you're a bad defensive team. Yeah, you know there were a few moments where I think Portland was really ill served by the players they had taking the shots. I remember Milano. I know the the announcers were you know kind of talking him up quite a bit as a new recent signing. Um, but, you know, he had a couple of really good opportunities. They weren't quite long shots, but he kind of got in, but just didn't have any power on the shot whatsoever. And Stefan Fry made some really great saves. Yep. Um, but yeah, no, it, it kind of, for the first 45 minutes, the game was, 
for me, just kind of as an outside observer, I'm kind of curious to see how you felt about the game as it was happening in that first 45, but it kind of felt like Seattle had it under control in some sense. Like Portland, like, like you were saying, it was never really threatening, the kind of peppering from long distance, but it just didn't feel like there, like something was going to happen. And then once they got that set-piece goal in the second half, it, it got kind of interesting again. I mean, never really felt like Seattle was going to give it up. Yeah, but there were about 15 minutes where I was concerned, and then, and then Ozzy Alonso came on. Yeah. And that just kind of reset how the possession game would work for Seattle. Um, he's a great defensive midfielder, both defensively and at, at, at regaining and making possession effective. So, for me, I actually watched this one from the ECF session, the general admission down there in the Brome end. Um, so some of the details of the game are a little bit hazy, but <laughs> it meant that I got to enjoy the game in in a very unique fashion. Um, and so, you know, going over the highlights and, and the condensed game and everything, I can see how you could take away the point when was threatening, but my emotional state was only for probably 10 to 15 minutes after Dewsbury got yeah. that goal was I concerned about a draw and having over Martins and um, Nelson Hedo Valdez out there. Uh, I also know that Seattle can scrape a goal out at any moment mm-hmm. because they're, they're both that type of talent that they can show up, you know, they can be down and out and you don't see them for 15 minutes. And then all of a sudden two touches and they're on goal. And it, Valdez showed that against Orlando. Heck, he was a, a key component to that first goal. The interplay between Valdez um, enabled Martins to uh, to get that goal. So I'm I'm pretty excited about an offense that I know is is finally again capable of scoring a goal or two every game. Because again, during those dire days, they they scored twice. Yeah, and as every as everyone likes to say, you know, all it takes is you know you got to get hot the very end of the season, and then anything can happen in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, heck, if you get a Clint Dempsey up top there too with Martins, and you know when Clint Dempsey returns, please let him return this weekend. Um, but when he returns, uh, Seattle will probably go to a front three with um, Dempsey, Martins, and Valdez, and that's as potent an offense as you you can see. In, in this salary cap league. What does Dempsey's return mean for the team? Just as, like, as you know, the game we watched yesterday versus the game that they will play next week, you know, potentially with Dempsey. What can we expect to be different with that lineup? It'll probably be announced as a 4-4-2 with Valdez on the right wing. But it'll play a lot like a 4-3-3. It's this kind of asymmetric thing that Siggy's used quite a bit. Like, if you remember back when Steve Zappawani was on the team, He's always listed as a, uh, a left midfielder, but if you called him a left winger in a 4-3-3, you'd probably be right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the opposite side midfielder to that high, the high mid or the winger, um, tends to be a conservative box-to-box type. Normally a guy like an Eric Freeberg or Brad Evans that are on this team. And it means a guy like Marco Papa, who's a damn good soccer player, is on the bench. Yeah. And... Um, one of the other signings that we haven't talked about, uh, Andre Sivanschitz is supposed to get healthy this weekend as well. He's an Austrian winger who was once called the Austrian Messi. Um, <laughs> he actually plays a lot more like Mauro Rosales than Messi, let's be honest. But 
he's probably on the bench. And your midfield is probably, well, Ramon Torres is going to be out. So your midfield will be Alonzo, Pineda, and Freeberg. And then Brad Evans will slip back into the center back role since Ramon Torres will be with the Panamanian national team. Well, so, so now that Seattle's moved back into the playoff picture, uh, currently sixth seed in the Western Conference with 38 points, uh, Portland is just ahead of them at 40. You know, what's it going to take for Seattle to climb that table for the rest of the season? And, you know, I mean, there's only, I think it's only eight points that separate the Sounders from the Galaxy in first place. So in the scheme of things, that's not insurmountable. Crazier things have happened in this league. But, you know, what's it going to take for the Sounders to kind of climb up and get a favorable position for the playoffs? Or, you know, if they can't, will they be able to survive that sort of wild card round early on in the playoffs? Yeah, the minimum is to get that, the home field on that, that wild card round. Because in a one-game playoff, home field is used. Whereas in the, the conference semis, the, that two-leg aggregate thing that MLS does that's so stupid... <laughs> um, home field becomes pr- practically meaningless. Yeah. As the founders have learned when they've had home field advantage. So step one, you know, get that third or fourth spot, which means targeting a, uh, a Portland or a Dallas, which is pretty attainable. I, I don't think you could look at it, at the healthy founders and say that they're not as good as Portland or Dallas. Um, so target that first. And so that just means go on a run for two or three weeks, and all of a sudden you're in the third or fourth seat. So that's, that's the easy part. Can they catch the Galaxy? Only if the Galaxy have, uh, only if they have the horrible time that the Challengers did. <laughs> that's the only way you're catching the Galaxy. And so, you know, um, if they lose, you know, two of their DPs to injury and, and a couple other players, could they be caught? Yes. But the Sounders, remember, um, prior to June 16th, the Sounders were the best team in, in soccer or in MLS and looked to be setting records. They had nine wins um, in early June, a double-digit goal differential, and looked to be on pace to have um, MLS's only uh, fourth 20-win season. Those are very rare. Dallas mm-hmm. could probably do it. But they can go on you know, those two points per game kind of streaks, and they can do it for a very long period of time. They have that type of talent. They just need to perform at it um, if, God willing, they're healthy and present for this stretch line. Well, so how do you, I want to get back to this now, is how do you deal with national team call-ups as a fan, as your sort of rooting interest? Because Matt Miazga, center back for the Red Bulls, who had a great uh, tournament with the U.S. under-23 squad over the summer, mm-hmm. missed, you know, he missed, he missed a, a month and a half of games, and he's supposed to get call-ups in October, you know, right when... We're kind of getting ready for, for playoffs and, and seeding and, you know, making sure you secure up that the best possible seeding that you can get. And, you know, there's there's part of me that's like, yeah, it, I, I love the U.S. team and I want to root for the best possible U.S. team we can have every time that they go out there just to, you know, impress the world. But, you know, at a certain point, you want your players to be on your team and you want them to kind of choose your team first. So how do you wrestle with having, you know... Clint Dempsey, one of the biggest stars on the USMNT, regularly, you know, leaving for, you know, gold cups or, or friendlies or whatever. How do you kind of wrap your rooting interest around that? As a fan, I hate it. <laughs> I, I absolutely hate it. Uh, Clint Dempsey's um, been gone for more than a third of the games 
that he's been on this team. And when you look at it, that like if you look at how good would the Sounders have been last year if they had Clint Dempsey the entirety of the season rather than the 20% that he didn't show up for because he had international team duties and, and whatnot. Yeah. Or this year without the Gold Cup, they don't have the dire days. And a one-two race between the LA Galaxy and the Seattle Sounders for a supporters to That's a heck of a storyline that anyone in MLS would love. We said it, we don't have it. And it's MLS's fault. And I think that our sport is popular enough now that we don't have to say all weekends all the time. And it's time for MLS to move and say, we're not going to play during group stages like they did, remember, during the 2010 World Cup mm-hmm. that took the group stage off entirely. Um, so don't play during group stages of the Gold Cup or the World Cup. And then take, uh, have every team just, you know, look at the calendar and say every team is going to miss, uh, is going to play through half of the, uh, the FIFA dates rather than most, you know, play through 90% of the FIFA dates. Just make half of them. Yeah. I, I, make I, half I, weekends and, and rotate it through. And you know what? It, it'll suck for LA because they have to get a special dispensation to have more than 7,000 people in their stands on a Wednesday night, <laughs> like, whatever. You know, people are showing up for soccer now. Yeah. We don't have to baby ourselves anymore. A Wednesday night game can happen. And if it means we have to play two or three more Wednesday night games, fine. Put them on Univision, or, you know, Univision or Univision Sports, get great ratings, and uh, have decent attendance, and it'll be fine. But it's time to start respecting, I'm not saying in full, just uh you know, start by taking in next year's uh, group stage of uh, probably the Olympics since the uh, Copa America thing fell apart. Mm-hmm. Take the uh, group stage of the Olympics off because if the U.S. national team makes it, it's going to be, you know, your guy, Matt, um, yeah, and then, you know, Seattle's Jordan Morris is going to probably be on that squad. You know, you look around, um, there are plenty of others that could, you know, that the U.S. Olympic squad will be about two-thirds MLS teams will be mostly starters on their MLS squad. So take the group stage of that off. Just a two-week break. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, and you know, it, especially when so many national team members are coming back from Europe to play in MLS because, you know, I, either for, for family reasons or they want to be close or they want to get that, you know, that designated player paycheck or, or you know, crowds have increased so much and the atmosphere is so great in MLS now. You know, whatever whatever the reasonings are, and as, as disappointed as Jurgen Klinsmann is in the fact that these players are coming back to MLS, they are. And, you know, when you have so many stars and so many designated players from these teams leaving for large stretches or important stretches of the season, you know, it just doesn't make any sense not to honor those FIFA dates. Um, so I think you're absolutely yeah. right. We've got to start. MLS needs to do something about that next season, and they probably won't. But, you know, we, I guess we can hope. <laughs> Yeah, and I'd just love to see them, you know, fade in. And, you know, I think there are six FIFA weekends during the MLS season next year that I remember. So play through three of you know, every team plays through three of them. Yeah. And then maybe in, in a year after that, every team only plays through two of them. And, you know, fade in. Yeah. I, I think that their, their arguments about weeknight attendance had a lot of merit two or three years ago. I don't think they do as much now. And with the proliferation of the TV stations on deep cable that are carrying MLS games, 
they need content. So, you know, what else is going to be on Fox, Fox Sports 2 <laughs> on a Wednesday night in July? Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Uh, so what, I want to go out on the atmosphere of CenturyLink. Um, because I, I came up to Seattle in May for the Red Bulls matchup. And uh, this is mm-hmm. the first time I'd been to Seattle in a long time, first time I'd ever been to a Sounders game. And it was incredible. It was such a fantastic experience. Just, I mean, A, I had a great vacation in the city of Seattle. But B, you know, on game day, got up early, went down to the neighborhood around the stadium. I went to the uh, restaurant Quality Athletics and, you know, had some mm-hmm. some lunch and some beer and admired the marchers as they marched to the match. Um, and, you know, I, I had great service from the the, uh, the ticket guys who, you know, made sure I had seats with the visiting uh, supporter section. Uh, and, you know, it was just, it was a, a fantastic experience. And that was just kind of a run-of-the-mill game, you know, early in the season. Um, so you said you were at you were at the game yesterday. What mm-hmm. can you describe that atmosphere just a little bit with this big derby game between Portland? Like, what? How did it feel inside the stadium? That sixty-five thousand. It was great. There are a couple of chants that have like transcended and grown that go beyond just the supporters section. The boom boom clap is obviously one of those. You mm-hmm. know, it, it's borrowed from um, one of the German sides, but it's a. It's something that's grown in tradition, and it's something that we use very well here. And having that echo when um, 65,000 people clap, and with the stadium that was designed the way it was for uh, by Paul Allen to have the sound reflect back into uh, the bowl rather than up and out, mm-hmm. uh, it's just that echo um, that you hear and it reverbs right in your right through your bones is such a great feeling and there's some other chants that we do as well um come on seattle fight and win it's not complicated it's probably used by you know 50 percent english speaking supporters <laughs> around the world but uh, it's, it's used because it works and it's such a great great feeling to know that you're down there and um you're making you know a little bit of a difference you're having that impact um when that goal was scored where i was uh, it's that south end, the Brome end, and it shakes a little bit. Uh, it's not because the stadium's old, but it's it's built to shake rather than fall apart uh, <laughs> for for earthquake purposes. Yeah, and you know it, it's the uh, it's the crowd. That, you know it's it's made famous because uh, Marshawn Lynch once uh, had a run that caused an earthquake due to the crowd noise. <laughs> um, when we get up to sixty five thousand. For Sounders games, it's very similar, except most of the noises are coordinated, which is a, and it's just such an incredible feeling to be a, be a part of that. And it's something that at my age, I, I don't do uh, but a few times a year. Yeah. And I decided against Portland was finally a time to do that because I hadn't seen a Portland game from that area in Seattle. And uh, it just, it, it's a, uh, it's an emotional roller coaster. It's, it's trying you are exhausted when you're done. We did the march to the match, and by the end of the day, I mean, it was a midday game. And at, like, 5, I was like, okay, I need a nap. I had a, <laughs> another work event to get to at, like, 9 at night. I'm like, how do I make it to 9 after uh, just exhausting yeah. myself so much? So, it, yeah, I, I, I would recommend the Seattle Soccer experience. And I'd recommend, you know, if you had an unlimited budget, I would say, 
come back here for a game that's not with your team. So you can uh, kind of get a taste of, uh, of what we do. Most of the Seattle supporters um, don't want to see somebody in, in opposing team's colors mm-hmm. among them. But if you come in as a neutral, you can come in the same bars where the fans hang out. Um, you can experience the march to the match. Um, to me, it's something that uh, anybody that visits Seattle and loves soccer, try it once when you're not, when, you're pro, when your team isn't the one visiting. Yeah. Try to find probably a two-week stretch where you can uh, where you can stay for the full week and hopefully see another team and then your own team. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great, and I will I will definitely be coming back to Seattle as soon as it's humanly possible uh, for soccer and beer and everything else. So, uh, Dave, thank you so much for coming on the big game to talk about Sounders Timbers. Oh, it's my pleasure. I, I'll talk about Sounders and beating the Timbers anytime. <laughs> that's a, that's an easy easy ask because beating the Timbers happens a lot, and uh, having the Sounders win again and look like they're capable of uh, making the playoffs and seeing what happens was a uh, was a great day. Yeah, good good luck to the team, Dave. Thank you very much. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Big Game. If you haven't yet, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, leave a review if you like what you hear, and check out our website, biggamepod.com, to listen to all of our past episodes. Follow us on Twitter at Big Game Pod, and stay tuned for more next week here on The Big Game. <laughs>